You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. You're an awesome God. There's somebody here or somebody listening or somebody online who's having a little bit of trouble trusting God, having a little bit of trouble just surrendering to Him. I think because of what you feel He has done in the past. And God is just wanting you to surrender to Him, to trust Him, to trust Him, to trust Him. If that's you, just bow your head and just ask God to forgive you for not trusting Him. Ask Him to help you to trust Him, because He will. If you open your heart to Him and you surrender your non-trust to Him, He will take it and change it into trust. He's awesome that way. He is so awesome that way. Father, I thank you this morning for all you've given us, all you've given us, which is everything. Everything we have is from you. Lord, the air we breathe, the fact that we woke up this morning is from you. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Lord, each one of us came in with you. And so for all of us that are in this room, you are with every one of us individually, but you are also with us corporately. And it's really cool that you could do that. I love that. Thank you so much, Lord. Father, I pray this morning your word to come forth. You would do with it what you want to do with it. I surrender it to you to do with whatever you want to. May my words be your words this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can... Oh, well. I was going to say you can sit down, but I guess you knew that already. Praise God. Praise God. God has been kind of on a theme with us over the last couple of months, if you haven't noticed. Um, and and um, I don't know how to proceed. <laughs> uh, and our pastor has mentioned at least twice in the last month that she has talked about pride. So um, I want to talk about the opposite of pride for a little bit. I want to talk about meekness. I want to talk about humility. And I want to talk about gentleness. Those three things are three ways of all translating the same word. They all have the same meaning. So I looked it up and I, looked, I went to dictionary.com and I looked up meekness. This is what it says. Meek is overly submissive or compliant, spiritless, and tame. Well, that's a lame definition, really. Um, it's humble, it says, having a feeling of insignificance, inferiority, low in rank and importance. Well, this is not what the Bible talks about when it talks about hum- humility or being meek. And so I want to start with a biblical definition. It's interesting how our culture has changed the meaning of it to mean something bad. It means something that you don't want to have. But it's the opposite of pride. I think you have one or the other. Um, the Hebrew word for humble, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, but it means to be low, to be meek, to be bowed down, to be humbled, rejecting self-government and embracing God's government. It means to reject your way of doing things 
and accept God's way of doing things in your life. So when God says, you need to do this and not that, it's accepting that God knows more than you do. That's, that's the Hebrew meaning of it. In the Greek, it's a, little, it's a little bit more. In the Greek, the word meekness, it means power under control. Power under control. It means having the ability, when, when somebody is confronting you, you have the ability to talk back and to hurt with, with your words. But humility won't do that. Humility will control it. Humility will control it. It doesn't mean you never get angry. Jesus got angry. But it means when you do get angry, you get angry because God said it's time. But it's only the correct amount of power. It's like having the power and knowing exactly how much of it to use and how much of it not to use. It's a lot like curling, actually. You're going to shoot that thing down the ice, and you need to have the exact right amount of power for it to land on the button, or it's going to go too far and just wreck things, or it's not going to go far enough and nothing will happen. Meekness and gentleness and humility knows exactly how much power to push behind it and exactly when to stop. That's a difficult thing to know. Um, especially when you're not, when you don't know everything about what you're confronting, about or what's confronting you. So meekness means God's controlling, and you're going to do what God wants you to do. It's power under control. Um, it insists only on what is necessary according to God, but it insists on everything that is necessary according to God. And this way, a person is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. So it is power under God's control. It avoids the two extremes of being overforceful or not forceful enough. Often it requires waiving your personal rights to do what's right for God. Sometimes it's just taking the hit because that's what God wants you to do so that you can respond the way God wants you to respond. That's humility. That's gentleness. It's just the right amount of power and using force the right way. Galatians 2.20, it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body, trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Humility isn't something we can just decide to do, and there it is. Humility is something that comes to us as we surrender to God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. I have that in here somewhere. I'm getting ahead of myself. But gentleness and humility is a fruit of the Spirit. Fruit doesn't happen instantly. You plant the tree. You probably wait for a couple of years for the tree to grow. You wait for the roots to get. You wait for the fruit to come. It takes a couple of years for a fruit tree to produce fruit, and then it takes all season for the fruit to be ripe enough to eat. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Humility is not something that happens overnight. It's something that happens over a course of time as you give your life to the Lord and as the Lord changes your heart. It's an amazing thing. And this what I found was so interesting. I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God. This earthly body wants to fight back, always. It just wants to jump up and lash out and punch somebody. 
How often have you gone home and said, and, and, and fantasized about how you could have just punched that guy in the face? Or, oh, if I would have said this, it would have put him in his place. Some of us are actually smart enough to come up with that while it's happening. Most of us, it's on the way home that we think of that. Um, we live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. We trust in the blood of Jesus to change our hearts and to move, to move with us. But not only that, we trust in the, in, in the blood of Jesus to change us. There, God has been speaking to me, and I have been struggling with emotions. And God is, and this really stood out to me because I just, we just need to trust in the Son of God. We live on our earthly bodies by trusting in the Son of God. We all have something about ourselves that we don't like. And, and I, I suspect um, that that could be pride. If it is something that God doesn't like either, he will get rid of it. It's his job to clean out your heart, not yours, which is really a cool thing because you're not responsible for cleaning it out. You're just responsible for giving your heart to God so he can clean it out. And, and that's an amazing thing. Numbers chapter 12. I'm getting, the whole chapter is only 15 verses long. And I was going to tell you the story, but I'm not sure I can tell it as well as it's written. So I'm just, I'm just going to read it to you. It's about Moses. Now, what Moses did is Moses married an Ethiopian woman. Moses married an Ethiopian woman. And his brother and his sister got very upset at him because that was against the law. This is what happened. While they were at Hezeroth, Miriam and Ariam chastised Moses for marrying a foreign woman, a Cushite. And it was true that he did indeed marry such an African. Has the Eternal One spoken only through Moses? No, the Eternal One has spoken through us. Now the Eternal One heard this, and for his part, Moses was a uniquely humble fellow, more humble than anyone in the entire world. All of a sudden, the Eternal called all three of them together. Come here, you three, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Join me at the congregational tent. And they did. The Eternal One descended in a cloud column, stood at the tent opening, and summoned just Aaron and Miriam, and they came forward. And God said, listen to me. When there are prophets in your midst, I, the Eternal One, will show myself to them through visions and the sound of my voice in their dreams. But it's different with my servant Moses. I've entrusted him above anyone else in my whole house. And with him, I communicate face to space, face to face. We speak directly and without riddles. He can even see the very form of the eternal. So why aren't you nervous about criticizing my servant Moses? The eternal left quite angry with Miriam and Aaron. And when the cloud lifted from the congregational tent, you could see that Miriam, that Miriam had been stricken and disfigured skin condition. Her skin looked white like snow. And Aaron looked at her and saw that and immediately turned to Moses. Please, Moses, my Lord, don't punish us for this offense that we have stupidly committed. Don't leave her in this partial death like a stillborn baby whose flesh is already half rotted away. So Moses went to the Lord and he pled to God, I, God, ask you, please heal her. And, and God said, if her father had been angry with her and made it obvious by, say, spitting in her face, wouldn't she have to bear the shame for a week? So just, just so you must ostracize her from the camp for seven days, and after that, she can rejoin the community. So Miriam was shut out of the community for seven days, which also meant the whole group didn't travel until Miriam was brought back in. It also meant that God was upset with Miriam. He, you know, it, 
when he said, if her father was upset with her, she'd have to go out of the camp for seven days. And so out to the camp for seven days she goes because God is, is upset with her. Um, it's also interesting that Moses did nothing to defend himself. He just stood there with the other two. And the other two railed against him saying, what are you, the only one God talks to? Doesn't he talk to us too? And Moses said nothing. He just stood there. And God defended him. Sometimes we just have to stand there and let God defend us. And that is not an easy thing to do. And that is, that is sometimes where the world decides that meekness is just the inability to fight back and you're just a weak person because you don't want to confront them and you don't want to fight back. Humility is wanting to fight back and refusing to. And it's interesting also, here's a little rabbit trail, Moses was wrong. He married a woman he should not have married. But God defended him. We really have to be careful on what we say about other ministries. Just as a side note, whether they're wrong or right or wrong, it doesn't matter. We really have to be careful on how we speak about them. We really don't have any right to criticize them because it's looking at the splinter in their eye when we have a log in our own. We really have to be careful with how we talk about them. This story emphasizes the fact that Moses gave up the prerogative to act on his own in order to do God's will. He had given up self-government. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. These are the fruits of the Spirit. All of these things take time to develop. And we are an impatient people, and we want it now. And it's interesting that um, patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit, and we want it now. <laughs> I kind of chuckled at that one. But um, the other thing about being meek, it is not self-deprecating. Moses was the humblest man on the earth at that time. And Moses wrote this. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So this is Moses saying that Moses was the most humble person. And I always kind of chuckle and laugh about that. But being humble and meek is knowing who you are and walking in it. And sometimes that is difficult. Um, especially when we have a bit of a self-image issue. Knowing who we are and walking in it is not an easy thing to do either. Um, the passion says gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. That's what meekness and humility is. Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Have you ever felt that the burden that God has given you is not light? Anybody here ever done that? Am I the only one? <laughs> a yoke, if you don't know what it is, it's a collar 
for two, for two oxen, for two cows, whatever it is that's pulling your equipment, it's for two. It's not for one. So if, if, the, if the burden that God gives you seems a little heavy, it's because you've taken your head out of the yoke because Jesus is in one of those collars. The other one is for you to be in and it's for you to go with him and for him. And also he can guide you in it because a yoke, they, all, they always go in the same direction. The word humble here is translated meek in some of the versions. We learn, we learn meekness and humility by being yoked to Jesus. We learn how and when to act in his strength. As long as we stay yoked with him, he guides us in how to live in meekness and humility because he's the vine and we are the branches. We can't do anything for God if we refuse the yoke. If we refuse to do anything for fear of making a mistake, then we have stepped out of the yoke because the yoke that Jesus gives us is so that he can guide us and so he can walk with us in what he's called us to do. And Jesus said he is humble. He is gentle, humble. It's knowing that God is always in control and not me. So when you're yoked with Jesus, he's the one in control. He's the one guiding the ship. You're helping it, pulling it along. He's getting you to do things. But it's only working because he is showing you how far to go, what to do, when to do it. And it's God that's in control. As long as the sun and the moon is in the sky, God is in control. God showed me this one day. I was awake early, early, early. And I'm sitting there and I said to God, if you have something to say, I have nothing to do. I'm listening. And he said, get up, have a shower, get dressed, get ready for the day, and let's go for a drive. So I did. I got up and did that, got in the truck. Went, I was driving down Marcus Road, and the moon was huge and full. And it was hovering just over the ANW <laughs> as I'm driving up Marcus Road. And, it was, and God said to me, he says, you see that moon? I said, it's hard to miss. Yeah, I see that moon. And he said, what keeps it in the sky? I said, I have no idea. I don't know, this. I know, I know, I don't know the science behind it, but I, knew, I know that you created the science behind it, so it's you that keeps the moon in the, in the sky. And he said to me, this is a sign for you that as long as the sun and the moon are in the sky, I am in control no matter what is going on down on the earth. Is if, if, we get to, if I ever get to a point, and, and I think it would be good for all of us, if we get to the point where, where, like Kristen said this morning, you just get overwhelmed with life, and it happens to all of us, um, you can go outside, and if the sun is still up there, or if the moon is still up there, God is still in control, no matter what's going on down here. And Satan will want you to think that he's in control, but if the sun and the moon are up there, he ain't, because he would tear it down if he could. Just a little... Rabbit trail. I was, this morning in worship, I thought of like eight rabbit trails I could go down. And I have um, not time to go down eight rabbit trails. <laughs> First Timothy 6.11. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run, all these, run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. God wants, God is talking to Timothy who is young. He is um, been put over some churches, so he's a pastor, and he's a young pastor, and he's having trouble with some of the older people in the church, and they are telling him he's doing it wrong, 
Ever had that happen, Megan? <laughs> um, and they are telling Timothy he's doing it wrong. And Paul is telling Timothy to do what God said to do and pursue a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Paul is saying, don't criticize them. Don't fight back. Don't stand up in the pulpit and talk about how bad they are. Let me do that. Let me look after that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I remember God showed me that verse one time. I used to always think that if somebody hurt me, God's going to get them, right? That guy hurt me. God's going to hurt them. I'm going to leave it with God. He can hurt them better than I can hurt them. And then God said to me one day, he said, you have to leave it with me because I will treat him with the same mercy I treated you. And I know why he did that to you and you don't. So leave it with me because I know Jesus is humble. He knows how much power to give, how much not to. He knows whether to rebuke or whether to love. He knows exactly what will change those people. Our job is just to love them and to do what God wants us to do. James chapter 4, 6 to 8. He gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Meekness is knowing who you are in Christ and what you're created to do. Pride is not caring who God made you to be. You're going to do what you want anyway. Meekness will bring you power, and pride will bring destruction. Meekness will bring you closer to God. Pride will deceive you and then take the truth, the little truth that you have. Meekness casts all anxiety on God, and pride says, I can handle this. Pride is the original sin. It is the very first sin ever created, and it wasn't by Adam and Eve. Um, it was Lucifer. And we'll, we'll read these verses because I think I've got, I've got a little bit of time. Because these, there's a couple of set passages that talk about Lucifer and where he was and the position he had. And then, so I, I want to read that to you. And I want you to think about the position that Lucifer had. Ezekiel 28. Son of man, take up the lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection. This is Lucifer. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, the emerald topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold, and on the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, the guardian cherub, from the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on the account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and made a spectacle of you before kings. Lucifer had it all. He was amazing. In Isaiah chapter 14, my, how you've fallen from the heights of heaven. O morning star, the son of dawn, what a star you were as you menaced 
and weakened the nations, but now you've been cut down, fallen to earth. Remember how you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and reach higher with more power and set my throne high above God's own stars? Remember how you thought you could be God, saying, I will sit among them at the Mount Assembly in the northern heights. I will rise above the highest clouds and make myself like the most high. Ha! Instead, you've sunk to a, like a stone to where the dead abide. You've hit the bottom, the bottom, the bottomless pit. People peer down from you from above, and their curiosity overflows. Wow, is this the man who once terrorized the world? Is this the one who rocked the earth's kingdoms and threatened us with disaster? A couple of passages that tell us that Lucifer was amazing. He was like number two. There was nobody that God created that was above Lucifer. He was the guy. He had all the precious stones. He was perfect. And God said to me this morning, because I hadn't seen this before about half an hour ago, Charity, you prayed that, <laughs> that if you want an example of what pride does to people, look at Lucifer and then look at Satan and look what he was and look what he is now, and it's all because of pride. He was the best. He was the most beautiful. He was the best singer. He was the best at absolutely everything. But then he wanted to be God. He did, wasn't happy with being number two. He wanted to be number one. And it completely destroyed him. It completely, it, this is what pride will do. It will completely mess you up. In the same way, 1 Peter 5, 5 to 7, in the same way younger ones should willingly support the leadership of the elders. In every relationship, each of you must wrap around yourself the apron of the humble servant because God resists you when you're proud but multiplies grace and favor when you're humble. If you bow down in God's awesome presence, he will eventually exalt you as you leave the timing in his hands. Pour out all your worries and stress on him and leave him there for he always tenderly cares for you. It's, it says that God opposes the proud. Can you stop and imagine that for a minute? Everything you do, God opposes because you're proud. That's got to be the worst thing in the world. I don't think there's anything more catastrophic than having all powerful, all knowing God oppose you. And that's what pride does. It puts you in the spot where God opposes you. He has to. Because without humility, you will abuse what God has given you and you will just hurt people. Moses was the most humble man on the earth. God had trusted him. God spoke to him without riddles. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> if, God, you know, if, if, if God could speak without parables, sometimes God gives me pictures and gives me visions and I have no idea what they mean most of the time. I have to ask somebody else. Um, and wouldn't it be amazing if, if he just said it outright? That would be so cool. But that's what he did with Moses. He just, he just said it outright. He just said it outright. Moses had the power of God and God trusted him with it. That's amazing. And then we find out later that Moses lost it once and used that power incorrectly. And God told him to speak to a stone and, and water will come out. And Moses got frustrated with the people and whacked it with a stick instead. And God said, not coming into the promised land. For that, Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land. Not because he hit it with a stick instead of speaking, but because he had the power of God to do what God wanted him to do, and he abused the power God gave him. And thus, he wasn't allowed into the promised land. 
Um, it's, it's, that's why God opposes the proud, because we would abuse the power he's given us. And we do have power, even though we think we don't most of the time. It says, grace and favor come to those that are in humble. Humility will cast the anxiety on God. People will say, I can handle this. Anxiety kills us. Pride will rob us of God's love and care. And Satan is always looking to install a virus in your heart. Sometimes pride comes and you don't recognize it. And you have no idea it's there. And we have to trust that God will show us when pride shows up. I have, about four, four and a half years ago, God started bringing back memories of my childhood. I had repressed them. I didn't remember them. I remember very little of my childhood. The memories God started bringing back weren't good ones. Um, and God started to work in my heart and heal all the things in my heart that happened to me when I was a little kid that I buried there and had kept there um, with his love. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about his love and then stuck right in the middle of it is a verse that says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but now I have to get rid of childish things. I was 58 years old and I had to get rid of childish things that I did not even know I had. And God would say, there's this. And I would give it to him and he'd look after it. And then he'd say, there's this. And I'd give it to him and he'd look after it. But I, I got into a habit of go, every time I felt bad, of going into trying to find out what was wrong with me that I would feel bad. And Megan talked about idols last week. Um, and God had showed me last week that had become an idol for me. I was doing that all the time. It's not a good thing to search your heart without the leading of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't lead to good things. Because Satan will make sure that you find something that you should feel bad about. And if you don't have God with you, you will accept it. And you will come, you'll repent for sins that aren't sins. And you'll feel horrible for doing things that God isn't feeling horrible about what you did. It'll mess you up. And so just a suggestion, if you're going to go searching your heart, make sure that God is with you when you do it. Make sure that God is directing you. Wait for God to tell you there's this in your heart, and then you give it to him. It's not a good idea to go looking by yourself because you will find something, and probably it won't be God. So last November, I woke up one day, and God said to me, he said, Sin is crouching at your door, and it wants to control, and you have to be careful. And that really scared me, because the only time I know of that that was said, it was because it, 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 the guy who didn't listen ended up killing his brother. <laughs> you know, it, it was a Cain and Abel thing, right? That's what God said to Cain. And God said it to me, and I was very disturbed that something like that was so close, right knocking at my door. And I asked God what it was, and at the time, he didn't say anything. And, and so I left it with him to show me when the time was right. And then I'm reading through Job about a month later, maybe not even. And I read about Rahab of the sea. And I thought, well, I know Rahab of the prostitute, like Jericho. I know Rahab of the hooker, but I don't know Rahab of the sea. So I looked it up, and the word means pride. And I thought, oh. And I kind of connected the two. And I said, okay, God, what is this what is this pride that you want, that you're talking to me about? And he didn't answer me. <laughs> 
So once again, I just had to kind of leave it with him, but I was very unsettled and I was concerned about this. Um, so then a little while later, um, God showed me a picture of a witch um, with a black pointy hat. And it wasn't an ugly witch. There was no warts on her nose. She was actually, she was quite attractive. <laughs> you know, and I just saw her face. And then God said to me, you've been bewitched. And again, I was just, what? I'm not having a good time here. <laughs> God is telling me all these things that are horrible. And he's not telling me what to do or what it is. Um, so like I said, I see these things and sometimes, most of the times, I don't interpret correctly. So I sent a text to my pastor and said, maybe, maybe there's a spiritual attack and maybe we just need to put on some armor and go fighting. And she said, maybe you should read Galatians chapter 3. <laughs> um, I know what's in Galatians chapter 3. I've read it lots of times. It's, and so, um, but I did. I went back and I read it in three or four different versions. And I still couldn't see. I said, they're, they're, they're believing in their works to save them. They're, I'm texting this back to, <laughs> texting this back to her. I, said, I don't think this is me because these guys are believing in their works. And I've, I've kind of been through that. These guys were proud of their work. Oh, wait a minute. Proud. Pride is there. I, I actually typed it in before I saw it. <laughs> you know, I'm, te I'm, texting, I'm texting away, and there it is. And went, oh, there's pride again. Um, but I didn't know what to do about it. And, and again, I left it with him. But I've realized at this point that somewhere in my heart there's pride, but I don't know where it is. So I'm uh, about... Christmas time. Oh, no, when I, when I was texting that back, um, I asked God, like, what, what did I do that I am so proud of? And God showed me that because everything that he's done for me over the past four and a half years is him, and I know that. So what is it that I am proud about that I have done? And he showed me that I had developed pride about saying yes to God and allowing him to take me back to my childhood and relive that pain so that he could heal it. But I allowed him to do it. And not everybody can do that because the pain is just too intense. And I had developed a pride that I had been, said yes. And I remember thinking, and, and instantly inside of me, right here, I thought, well, that's kind of petty. Like, am I not allowed to feel good about what you've done? And God didn't answer me. <laughs> and and in, inside of me, I am feeling that God is being petty. But in my head, I know that God is never petty. God is not petty. And so I have this fight going on. So I, in, in the middle of my heart, I am thinking that God is just being picky. He's just nitpicking. But in my head, I know very well that God doesn't nitpick. If there's something, and if I would have seen what God showed me this morning about what pride does to people and what pride did to Lucifer, I probably would not have gone here. But I, I started fighting it. Any way I knew how to do it. I started quoting scripture. I started rebuking pride. I started everything, every tool that I knew that God had given me to fight the enemy, I started using. And none of it helped. None of it worked. It was still in the side, inside of me. I felt that God is being petty. 
and my head is absolutely horrified that I would feel this way. And, and this fight went on for, actually it didn't go on that, really that long, I think for probably two days. But in those two days where I had this fight, I think I slept for two hours in, in this 48-hour period because I am fighting this thing and I am losing. And so I think it was either Christmas or Boxing Day. I'm walking through this building just to make sure the heating systems are working right. The lights are off. There's no lights on in the building. It's me and my flashlight. And I know I can turn the lights on, but I kind of like walking with flashlights. <laughs> uh, I don't know why, but I just kind of like walking in the dark with a flashlight. So this is what I'm doing. I'm walking through this building, and I get to Poundmaker downstairs, and the lights are turned on. And I walked into that room, and I could just feel evil in the room. There, there was something demonic in that room. So I just, it, I'm not a big deal. I just told it to get lost in the name of Jesus, and it was gone. Like instantly, poof, it was gone. Uh, so, but I'm still fighting this thing between my heart and my head, and I'm still fighting it. And the next day, I usually go in the mornings and I check out the boilers for another church for them. And, and so I'm standing in between two boilers, and um, out of the corner of my eye, I can see there's a demon standing there. He's the same height I am. He's wearing a black hoodie that goes right to the floor. And so I turn to look at him, and he takes off. At such a fast speed, it looked like he was there, and then he was gone. But it was like a black streak. Was just, he just, it just took off. And so again, I, re, I just told it to get lost because I didn't want to meet it in another corner of the room. <laughs> and, and it was gone, and he was gone. And then a voice said to me, and it was so clear, it said, I put that pride in your heart and you had no idea it was there. And I can do that again. And you will still never know it's there. You are mine, and you just don't know it. And I said, but God is faithful. He will always, always show me where there's something in my heart that needs to be looked after. And he said, God is always faithful, but you're not. And um, I just gave up at that point. And I didn't realize it then, but I have come to realize that the reason I gave up is because there was a lie in my heart that I wasn't good enough, which had been there my whole life, and that I thought I had eradicated, but it was still there a little bit. And he connected with that lie, and I just broke down and gave up. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I just, whatever happens, happens. I, I quit. I can't fight anymore. And then God said, go home and lay down. I had slept for about two and a half hours over this last 36 48 hour period. So I went home and laid down, and when I woke up, it was gone. It was, it was completely gone and done with. And then God showed me that he plans everything in intricate detail. So what, he knew that at some point, Embassy Church was going to need a pastor because the old pastor wasn't going to be able to pastor anymore. And so what he did is he created somebody who would become pastor. And he did that 30-some years before she did. <laughs> um, and then he put in her the qualifications required for her to do that. And then molded those qualifications through her life experiences so that it would come out of her the way God wanted it to come out of her. And then she stepped into that role. Not because of who she is, not because she's a great person, but because God created her to do it. 
When we say that God has a plan for your life, he does. He has created you to do something. Every one of us are created to do something. And then we have Gary, and I've talked to Gary. He's okay with me saying this, so. (laughs) He looked back, and he saw that Megan would become pastor, and then he realized, and he didn't realize, he knew that Megan is going to need somebody to help him maintain this building, that she wouldn't be able to do it because he didn't put in her the knowledge or the qualifications or the ability to maintain this building. So he created, he put that into Gary. He said, I'm going to put in Gary the ability to fix stuff. And he's going to be really good at it. And then through life experiences, he's going to learn that skill and hone it until he gets to the point where he can fix anything. And then I'm going to put him in an embassy to help Megan do the job. It doesn't make Megan better than Gary because she's the one up here speaking and he's in the back fixing the toilet. They are exactly equal because they're doing what God created them to do. So there is no reason for pride in either of them. And it's the same with me. I am here. I am doing only what God created me to do. I don't, if, if there's anything good in me, it's because God put it there. It's not because I am a good person. If you see anything godly in me, it's because God put it there. So we don't have any reason to be proud about anything. You know, he said, he said to me, if you want to have a race car, you build it sleek. So the wind resistance, you build a Corvette. And you put a big engine in it, and you put a big transmission in the rear end that makes it go like crazy. But a Corvette won't pull a blessed thing. If you need something that's, if you need something that's gonna pull, you make a truck. You put a diesel engine in it, you put the transmission in the rear end that will pull. It doesn't make a truck any better than a Corvette. It's just built for something different. And when they both do what they're supposed to, it works awesome. And so with all of us, God has created us and built us to do something. God has a plan. You know, we always talk about God has a plan for your life, and we go, oh, that's awesome. You know, God has a plan for us. But he has something specific. He does have a plan for you, and he created you for that plan. He has this huge plan of how the universe is going to go, and we all have a part to play in God's plan for it. Not because we're good, not because we're great, not because we said yes to him, but because he created us to do that. And then through life's experience, he molds it so we can get to the point where we can actually do it the way God wants us to do it. And then if we can get to that point, God can trust us with his love. He can trust us with his power because we will do our absolute best all the time to let God be reflected in who we are. God has been talking to me about ref- being re- reflecting him. We are, we are supposed to reflect God. And we all reflect different aspects of who he is because of our personalities. Um, I remember watching um, Megan one Sunday morning and was just amazed at how she dealt with people, how God had put that in here. And I remember driving to work the next day saying, God, I want to be like Megan. And God said, no. (laughs) He's only done that twice to me. He just flat out said, no, that ain't going to (laughs) happen. He said, said, Megan doesn't need a Megan on the team. She needs a Wayne on the team. And another time we were talking about the word of God and how we want the word of God to be pure word of God. We don't want to tank it in any way. 
And I'm driving to work again the next day, and I said to God, this is the other time God said no. I said, God, I want your word to flow out of me perfect. The way, the way you set it out to be, I want me to be set aside so that your word is true and unadulterated. And God said, no. It ain't gonna happen. He said, because he needs his word to flow through my personality. Just like he needs the word to flow through Megan's personality or Joan's personality or Troy's. Because there are people that will connect with our personalities, right? Now, God has that all in him because he is so big and so huge. But all of us have different personalities, and all, God has something for all of us to do, and he's created our personalities to do those specific things. And so we have absolutely no reason to be pride, proud, and every reason just to be humble and to say yes to God. Humility says yes to God when God asks. Humility will always give God a yes. So... Um, I guess that's it, because I got nothing else. <laughs> I wish I had a great ending, you know, that I get all... And I'm thinking, okay, God, where do you want me to go from here? And he's not saying anything, so... Um, Father, thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank, thank you that you give us the grace to be humble. Thank you that you teach us how to be humble. Lord, you taught Moses for 40 years how to be humble. Um, and I just give my heart, we just give our hearts to you so that you can teach us humility. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.